Blog Talk Radio. You have just connected with Parkinson's Recovery. This is Robert Rogers. If you're beginning to wonder whether or not it's worth your time to listen to this particular radio show, I'm here to tell you this is a show that you do not want to miss. You want to hear it from the beginning all the way to the end. Dr. Lori Mishley is a naturopath doctor who has worked extensively and exclusively with individuals who have neurological conditions as well as Parkinson's disease. If you're looking for ideas of what you can do to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's, this is the place to be. This is the time to do it. You, I can promise you, will not be disappointed. This is Robert Rogers. I'm Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Dr. Lori Mishley. I'd like to read to you her mission statement, and it's the following. Dr. Mishley is a resource for the unconventional and is willing to think outside the box. Her goal in healthcare is to educate, integrate, and Stimulate. Dr. Mishley, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. You are a naturopath doctor. Now, what's the difference between a medical doctor and a naturopath doctor? Good question. So there are four naturopathic medical schools here in the United States, and there are two more in Canada. And they are four-year post-baccalaureate degrees, just like conventional medical schools. The first two years are very, very similar. Same classes, same textbooks, same you know anatomy, histology, physiology. We do things pretty much the same for the first two years. Um, where where it gets different are during the last two years, where conventional MDs tend to put more emphasis on rotation, specialization, the tools in their toolbox are drugs and surgery. Our last two years, the emphasis is on the interrelationship between everything that we've studied thus far. You know, what is the relationship between biochemistry and neurology? Um, we do a lot more with um, different tools in the toolbox. We learn chiropractic adjustments. We learn herbal medicine. We learn pharmaceutical drugs. We learn the minor surgery. We learn. It, it's truly eclectic. Um, the goal of the naturopathic medical education is to, as much as possible, draw from all schools of thought over the last you know, several thousand years and take the best of each one. Um, it's, it's truly a philosophical difference. I don't know that, um, you know, when you, when you sit down and talk to two doctors about headaches, it's, it's the difference tends to be more um, symptom management on their part. They're trying to make the headache go away. We put more energy into figuring out why are you getting headaches. I, I liken it to a sports team playing offense and defense. We tend to play a little bit better offense. They tend to play a little bit better defense. And obviously neither is exclusively one or the other. Beautiful analogy. I, 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 will, I will add one more thing to um, just to clear up the confusion for patients. But there are 15 states here in the United States states where naturopathic physicians are licensed primary care providers, covered by insurance in some states, able to write prescriptions in some states. Um, and in the states where naturopathic medicine is not licensed, naturopathic doctors can mean a lot of different things. Some of them have gone to four-year medical schools. Others have gotten their naturopathic doctor certificate through a mail order program on the internet. And, and my intention is not to belittle 
the mail order programs, but just to let people know that if, if you happen to live in an unlicensed state, um, that you really need to not assume that anyone who calls themselves a naturopath or a naturopathic doctor or ND has the same level of training. If, if you live in a state like Washington or Oregon or Hawaii where, where we're licensed primary care providers, anyone who says I'm an ND has gone to the four-year medical school, they've passed their boards, they meet certain, you know, uh, they keep their license up every year, continuing education. That's not necessarily the case in all states. Your practice specializes in treating neurological conditions with a special emphasis on Parkinson's disease. What led you to focus your practice on Parkinson's and other related diseases of the neurological system? I like a challenge. I've always been interested in neurology. Uh, when I was at Penn State doing my undergraduate work in pre-medicine, I first uh, learned about a disease called synesthesia, where people's senses get mixed up. You start to smell colors and see sounds. And um, I, I was absolutely fascinated by um, a disease that could shake up our foundational understanding of something as simple and straightforward, presumably, as the senses. And though that, that really pointed me towards neurology in the first place. And then, um, you know, honestly, what happened with Parkinson's disease is my first week of practice, I, I hit it off with a gentleman with Parkinson's disease, and um, I ended up spending quite a bit of time with him, and I, I was, I was, it, I wanted to help and do the best I could. I was a new dog, and he proceeded to go to, you know, 10, 15 different support groups in town over the next month, telling everybody you need to see Lori Michley. And um, it was it was great. I mean, what ended up happening was I had 50 patients with Parkinson's <laughs> my schedule in the first couple months of my practice, and and I I there is a Parkinson's personality, and it's a personality I very much like to work with. So it's it's been that path ever since. And this happened in Seattle, is that right? Uh, pardon? This happened in Seattle. In Seattle, in Seattle, it was in 2001. Tell us about your NIH study involving the use of, as I understand, glutathione nasal spray. So let me just um, review a little bit about glutathione so people know what we're talking about. But um, basically what happens in Parkinson's disease is for several decades we have known that the brain of people with Parkinson's disease makes an excessive amount of free radicals. Free radicals are, are kind of the bad guys, the fire in the brain. And, and antioxidants are responsible for quenching or putting out that fire. And, and so in Parkinson's disease, all Parkinson's researchers are on the same page. The Parkinsonian brain makes way too many free radicals and or does not have the antioxidant resources to put out that fire. And so they've tried, other researchers have tried vitamin C and vitamin E and Many antioxidants have been tried over the years for Parkinson's disease, and the results have not been very effective. And so um, what happened was in the late 1980s, a couple Italian researchers put two and two together and said, you know, what we haven't looked at is glutathione. Glutathione is the brain's primary antioxidant. It, our, it is, it is our, the antioxidant that is most responsible for putting out any free radical fire in the nervous system. And glutathione had never been tried in Parkinson's disease. The problem is it can't be absorbed orally. I can talk about that in a minute. 
And so what they decided to do is give people intravenous glutathione several times a day for a month, um, people who were newly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and let's see what happens. And so this was 89, I think, was when their study was published. And what these researchers found is that people who received one month of intravenous glutathione had a 42% reduction in Parkinson's symptoms. And the benefits of that therapy lasted a month even after they stopped the IVs. And so, um, you know, there were many criticisms of the study. There was no control group. It was a very small study. But given the strong theoretical basis, um, it, it certainly warranted some follow-up. And on, honestly, this study really hasn't been followed up on since. And so, so what happened is that, that for those in the medical community, it was interesting, but nobody did much with it until David Perlmutter, who's a neurologist in Florida, started administering IV glutathione three times a week to people with Parkinson's disease. And what has happened over the last probably 15 years or so is, is um, between his personal, Dr. Perlmutter's statements and reports and patient reports, the, the anecdotal response of improvement has created quite a stir in the Parkinson's community. And so what we have is a lot of people asking for IV glutathione, a lot of neurologists know, trying to figure out, is, is this a therapy that I'm, I, I should be using? Is this a doctor who's just trying to make a buck? I mean, nobody has really been able to figure out what is going on with intravenous glutathione because nobody has gone on to study intravenous glutathione. And so um, several patients came to my office looking for IV glutathione, and I tried it with them on several occasions. And what ended up happening is um, it... It, it became impractical. Um, first, I felt like a drug dealer because people were coming in asking for their shot every two, three days. Um, the prescription is three times a week. It is very difficult to ask people who have a movement disorder to come into your office three times a week for a 20, 30-minute appointment. Um, and it gets expensive, even though glutathione itself is relatively cheap. Um, the clinic overhead, the cost of coming to the clinic, the provider's time, the you know make, taking vitals, making sure it, the act of administering an IV becomes very expensive over time, especially three times a week. And so it, it just became impractical and it was invasive. People don't like getting shots three times a week. And so about eight years ago, six years ago, I started looking for alternative ways to get glutathione into people. Um, and, and it can't, it is very, very poorly absorbed through the intestine. So that, that, there are a couple brands out right now who are, who are touting better GI absorption, but what ends happening is one, we don't know that much gets from the gut into the bloodstream. And even once it's in the bloodstream, we're not convinced how that much makes it across the blood-brain barrier into the central nervous system. And so those were obstacles. You know, if I'm going to ask a patient to pay out of pocket for an experimental therapy, I want to have a little bit more confidence that it's reaching the body part I want it to reach. And so I, I wasn't thrilled about the oral options. The IV options were invasive and expensive. I tried working with a nebulizer and having people breathe it for a little while, but what happens is um, for the three body parts that rely on glutathione the most heavily are the lungs, the liver, and the brain. And a study came out showing that um, people who nebulize glutathione, basically their, most of our lungs are so depleted that when you give it to, when you breathe glutathione in through a nebulizer, um, 
your lungs are so thrilled to get a dose of glutathione, they use it all up before ever passing it. (laughs) That's really funny. And so, and so that deterred my thinking that this was ever going to make it to the brains of people with Parkinson's. And so, you know, after scratching my head and talking to a couple of pharmacists about what my options were, we decided to try intranasal glutathione. And, you know, just like an aspirin bottle, you take it, you know, do a little squirt, inhale, sniff up the nose. Um, my hope was that we, we might, might get it directly into the brain. And obviously, you don't get to use quite as much glutathione as if you're administering it intravenously. But I was hoping that that would um, balance out with the fact that it was comp- going straight to the brain. And the more I looked into it, the more plausible this become. What I um, what I didn't realize at the time I started this is that um, when you administer something intranasally, you completely bypass the blood-brain barrier, and that uh, and that it's possible for small water-soluble molecules like glutathione to to pass through the olfactory plate, diffuse across the olfactory plate, and directly go into the central nervous system. And so once I started putting all these pieces together and realizing what a you know really understanding what a valuable antioxidant glutathione was, how inexpensive it is, and how it might be as simple as a couple squirts up each nostril a couple times a day as a way to replenish glutathione stores, I took interest in it. Um, what, what is very well documented in the, in the conventional literature is that the first reported change that we're able to see in the, in the brain of people with Parkinson's is the loss of glutathione. What we know is that um, the loss of glutathione precedes anything else, formation of Lewy bodies, long before tremor sets in, and we know that the lower your glutathione, the more severe your disease and the faster your disease progresses. And so for me, it was just one of these one plus one equals two, equals two thoughts. Okay, if we know that to be true about glutathione, why not try and replace glutathione levels? Could glutathione almost be like a nutrient deficiency in people with Parkinson's disease? It's something that we all make. It's something we all need. But people with Parkinson's seem to not have enough to get the job done in their brain. So what happens if we just replace that that molecule? So this is this is the the basis of my study. And so what I'm going to do is first and foremost find out is this safe? I've been using it with patients for several years now. Um, in clinical practice, and, and it certainly, from my from from my clinical experience, seems safe. But um, research plays by slightly different rules, and I want to be very, very clean. I want to hold the the research question to very high standards. And the first place to start here is with a double-blind, placebo-controlled phase one study asking: Is intranasal glutathione administered to people with Parkinson's disease safe? And once we get the answer to that question, which I hope will be yes, it is, um, we will move on to a phase two study, which begins to ask the question, does it have some potential to change the course of disease in people with Parkinson's disease? And so even in this phase one study, I will be asking some questions about efficacy just to see if, see if we're moving in that direction. But the intention of this first study is simply, does it get absorbed and, and is it safe? So there are a number of subjects who are currently enrolled in this study? Um, yes and no. No. There are no study subjects currently enrolled. Um, what we're waiting for is um, the FDA to give the stamp of approval on we, we, this, this product is safe enough for us to say you can use it in a study. 
And so it's a little bit interesting. As um, uh, The award that I just got is to the National Institute of Health wants to train more alternative medicine researchers. Or, and so they, they asked for people who had a clinical experience um, who would be willing to shift away from practice into research. And so that was, that was the award that I received was is this is a research training award for myself. And so I'm, I'm in this unique spot where what is completely acceptable clinically, if I've been using intranasal glutathione for many years, many of my colleagues use intranasal glutathione, many of us use intravenous glutathione, um, completely standard of care in the alternative medicine community. I am suddenly, as a researcher, at square one, and I can't begin to use it until all the proper people in all the correct channels tell me it is okay to start to use this therapy. So in my private practice, I use it often, and many many patients that I work with are using it. In the study, nobody is using it yet. <laughs> That's really interesting. There are then uh, individuals who are naturopaths, uh, doctors, uh, and medical doctors in other states uh, who would also be able to get access to the nasal glutathione uh, technology and, and make that available to their patients. Is that correct? I, I see no reason why it, it wouldn't. You know, I had an email yesterday from a, a uh, local MD who asked, what, what is the prescription you call in? How can I call this in? I have a patient who's interested, and I explained to that doctor how to do it. I, I really look forward to more practitioners and patients exploring the possibility. I, I, I truly believe that it um, the benefits outweigh the risks, and, you know, that's Dr. Mishley the physician talking, not Dr. Mishley, the researcher. Oh, right. The researcher is very open-minded to it. It may not be safe, and that's why the study needs to be done. So it, it's, it's an interesting transition for me. Really? But it's very clear in your own uh, practice, uh, the people who've actually had experience with this have seen uh, remarkable improvements. I, I have had one or two people complain of a little bit of nasal irritation, both of whom say if they take a day off, they're fine and can go back to the therapy the next day. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about, I, I think, um, if the question is, is, it is my impression that it is an effect. To be clear uh, to listeners, uh, it's my understanding then that a person won't be able to walk into, for example, a drugstore like uh, a Walgreens and, and ask the uh, clerk, could I please have a glutathione nasal spray? <laughs> it's not going to work like that. No, it's gonna, absolutely uh, not. They're going to have yet. to. Uh, no, no, they're going to have to uh, consult with their either naturopath uh, physician or their medical physician, uh, medical doctor physician, and uh, consult with them and see if they might be willing to do a prescription for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, prescriptions will always need to come from a compounding pharmacist. And anybody, if, if there are any physicians listening or any patients want to go to their physicians requesting this, what I would um, do is refer them to Key Pharmacy in Kent, Washington. It has by far the most experience with this, and they're, they're familiar with my protocols and how I usually do this. And I'm very, very able to walk an uh, interested provider through um, the recommendations and recommended doses and concentrations. And so. Um, it's key pharmacy in Kent. That's, so that's key, K-E-Y. Yep. People will probably want to know what the number of key pharmacy is. Can you give that to folks? Oh, sure, sure. It's 
877-878-3900. We'll be right back with Dr. Lori Meshley after this short station break. You've connected with Parkinson's Recovery. This is Robert Rogers. If you've been hoping to be able to get an opportunity to connect with other individuals who happen to have the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and who are on the road to recovery, there is an opportunity for you in 2010. That will be a jump start to wellness, which will be held in October in the wonderful city of San Diego, California, USA. When you come to Jumpstart to Wellness, it's basically a two-full-day and one-evening program that is experiential. We provide individuals who attend with connections to others and also with many self-help tools that empower you to be able to figure out what is the next therapy, what is the next step that will be most helpful to you in being able to continue and sustain your recovery program. I want everybody to be sure and understand that when you come to our Jumpstart to Wellness programs, you will not see a listing of sponsors. In other words, big companies, big corporations, or even individuals who have contributed huge sums of money to be able to support what we do. We are not sponsored by anyone. No company, no product, no program. We basically are an organization that is research-focused, and we are interested in being able to help individuals figure out what they need to do for themselves to be able to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. I do write books, Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, Pioneers of Recovery, Five Steps to Recovery. I do have a member program. Members can come to Jumpstart uh, to uh, re- uh, Wellness uh, at a significant dis- discount, at 50% discount. Uh, and so we basically have an interface uh, through our global network providing information just as I do on the weekly radio show, providing people with information of what you can do to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. We do that at Jumpstart to Wellness, but we also find that what we do is experiential. We provide you with the tools that are necessary to be able to give you a jump start in being able to feel a great deal better. So check it out. You can actually find information by going to the main Parkinson's recovery website. If you'll simply type in the word Parkinson's and also the word recovery on any search engine, the first search result is parkinsonsrecovery.com. You'll see on our very simple main page, there's uh, two words, jumpstart. Just click on that. That takes you to the page where we give you a full disclosure of what happens at Jumpstart to Wellness. Now, back to our incredibly fascinating helpful and useful interview with Dr. Lori Meshley. Many people with Parkinson's believe that once they have been diagnosed, they are destined to get worse. They are told the condition is degenerative and progressive. From your experience, is this belief true? In my experience, absolutely not. It actually really drives me nuts that physicians are so quick to tell people that um, the only thing that they know, which is, I don't know how to stop this. And, and they put the, um, the spin on it, like, because that 
particular physician doesn't know how to stop it, your fate is somehow set in stone. And, and that is not at all my experience. Um, I, there is so much research in, in the conventional literature suggesting that you know, mouse models of Parkinson's don't progress if you do this, or they don't progress if you do that. And what, what we don't have are a lot of studies that show that humans don't progress if you do this or that. And that's why I'm moving over to a career in research, is so that I can help do some of those studies. But, but there is some very, very good preliminary data on many different therapies out there. And so we, we are in this, in this state of um, the gold standard in research are, are these double-blind, placebo-controlled, single-agent trials. And the reality is there is no one pill, one herb, one drug that is going to make all of this go away. It's a really complicated disorder. And until we find a way to embrace truly applying stringent scientific methodology to these concepts of synergy where, you know, CoQ10 plus glutathione plus resveratrol might offer something that neither one of those do on their own. Um, are we really going to start to understand how to, how to stop this disease? Um, I, I do not, I, I feel very strongly about not dangling carrots and saying, oh yeah, I know how to cure this disease, I know how to stop this disease. I don't. We're all trying to figure this out. It's a complicated disease. But I can absolutely say that it is not uncommon for patients to go years without a worsening disease. I have, I have patients who are on less than 25% of the medications they were on four years ago, and they're less symptomatic today than they were four years ago. And that's off their medications. Does that mean the disease is reversible? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what it means, but it is absolutely not my experience that this is a one-way degenerative progressive disease. In working with Parkinson's patients, what therapies are helpful from your experience in particular? And I've got a list of different uh, therapies uh, that I wanted to uh, ask you about. For example, what about restless leg syndrome? So, so we know that to be associated with the loss of dopamine. Um, it's a little bit difficult to answer specific symptom questions um, simply because that's not philosophically how I understand the disease. Um, they're truly symptoms, and my goal is not to treat the symptoms. It's to, to fix what's going on inside that is leading to a decrease in dopamine. So, so whereas you and I may both suffer a loss of dopamine, person, you may get depressed, I may get restless legs, and the person over here may develop a tremor. I think that these are just different manifestations of a similar underlying biochemical quirk. And so, you know, what, as much as possible, I try and rewind a little bit when people come in and they say, here, here are my symptoms. What I try and do is, is understand the pathophysiology of each of those symptoms, what's happening inside your body that might lead to that symptom, and then get rid of the idea of treating the symptoms, not about treating the restless leg. Um, it, it's it's how, do we fix, how do we improve the function of your system so that you don't have the loss of dopamine anymore. So I actually don't treat restless leg very differently than I treat many of the Parkinson's symptoms. I mean, I think that there's some very, very good data out there that, um, you, you know, restless leg 
syndrome it has been associated with iron deficiency. It's been associated with folic acid deficiency, B12 deficiency. Um, and so I, I think that it's really important to make sure that some of the nutritional considerations in restless leg syndrome have, have been addressed. Um, and and uh, I was going to make a comment about the use of drugs. You know, I, I don't believe that anybody has restless leg syndrome because they have a requip deficiency. Um, but that said, I, I'm not opposed to the concurrent use of conventional and complementary medicines. I think that a, a wise patient truly uses the best of all worlds, and the goal is to use whatever therapies work and are effective that have the lowest, the fewest side effects. And so I really encourage my patients to keep an open mind, not only about the different alternative therapies that I'm, I'm making available to them, but to keep an open mind about how to integrate what I'm proposing with their conventional therapies. It really does not need to be all or nothing, um, but, I, I, but I do think that um, my, my bias is in, towards orthomolecular medicine. Is that a topic that you and your listeners are familiar with? Uh, not sure, but, but I think, I'm sure for some people it would be. Okay, so, so orthomolecular medicine is, is a school of thought very, you know, it, it is just like uh, allopathic medicine or naturopathic medicine or chiropractic medicine, there's a school of thought um, that, is, that is orthomolecular medicine. And, and whereas naturopathic physicians use a, a lot of, ten, we're trained in herbs and adjustments and homeopathy and nutrients and pharmaceuticals, um, I tend to not choose from the, that pot. Those are not usually the tools in my toolbox. Very, very, very rarely do I use herbal therapies. It's just, they're just not, um, it's just not my area of expertise. And so what I tend to do is be biased towards preferentially use orthomolecular therapies, which are the molecules that the body is familiar with. And so uh, my background is in nutrition science. Um, I am very much interested in understanding the biochemistry and pathophysiology of what goes on. And so Really, 100% of what I do with patients has to do with understanding why what's going wrong is going wrong and how do we either replace the things that might be low or remove things that are too high. And, and it has, um, very rarely do I, I, I'm very unlikely to use, if you were to come to me with depression, um, just as I'm not inclined to prescribe Prozac, right off the bat, nor am I inclined to prescribe St. John's Wort right off the bat. It's just, in my mind, herbal therapies are just as much drugs as any pharmaceutical therapy. You don't have a deficiency of St. John's Wort causing your depression. My job is really to try and understand what's going on inside your brain and inside your body with your life that's leading you to be depressed. And so really, I, I have a... I. My practice is very different than I would say even most naturopathic physicians. And so that's how I look at restless leg syndrome, how I look at depression, is, is really back to the biochemistry. What's going on here that might lead to this? We'll be right back with Dr. Lori Meshley after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers. This is Parkinson's Recovery. 
you are cordially and warmly invited to join us at the Jumpstart to Wellness program that will be offered in San Diego, California in October of this year. You can go to our main website, parkinsonsrecovery.com. You'll see an icon that says Jumpstart. Click on that and you'll get the full details or better yet, Give me a call at our toll-free number. That's one eight seven seven five two six four six four six. Jumpstart to Wellness is a program that Parkinson's Recovery sponsors only one time a year, and we are very small. We only actually enroll 25 individuals who have the symptoms of Parkinson's as well as the individuals who join them. So it's a small program, and I'd like to invite each of you listening today to connect in, register, and join us for what is a remarkable and a transformative experience. Dr. Lori Meshley has just issued an incredibly informative book that captures everything that she's learned in years of medical practice. Her book is titled Natural Therapies for Parkinson's Disease. Isn't that an awesome title? If on the actual page that you may be looking at as you're listening to this particular interview, the description of Dr. Meshley's interview and our show today, you'll probably notice that in blue, the title is listed, Natural Therapies for Parkinson's Disease. If you'll click on that blue title, it will take you to Amazon where you can actually purchase her book. I'm here to tell you that that is well worth your time to go to the trouble to purchase and to read her entire book from front to back. Now back to my interview with Dr. Lori Mishley. From your experience, what has been most helpful in giving your patients relief from their symptoms? It's a great question and it's a very difficult question. Um, and the reason it's difficult is, is twofold. It's because every single patient I have ever seen with the diagnosis of Parkinson's has left my office with a different set of recommendations. No two patients are on the same protocol. I, I don't treat Parkinson's. I truly treat the patient who walks through the door. And so it's really hard to look back over the last 10 years and, and say, here are the things that make the most significant difference. Um, and it's part of what led me into research is because I really do want to find the answer to that question. Um, my sense is that coenzyme Q10, and, and there are certain forms that I think are much more effective than others, um, but coenzyme Q10 and glutathione are the two most effective. Um, but I will also say that I, I do think that there is, I mentioned synergy earlier, I do think that, that there's synergy in the treatments and so that if you can get somebody's homocysteine level down, you can change the way they're eating. There's no doubt about it. People start feeling better over the course of six months or a year, and they have more energy, and they're, they're more responsive to the medications that they're taking and can sometimes use lower doses. I don't know is that because of any one ingredient in their treatment or, or everything that we're doing working together. But I would put coenzyme Q10 and glutathione at the top of that list. People ask me often, CoQ uh, enzyme 10, where can you get a good supply of that? Is there any particular answer to that that you found useful for people? Uh, again, another great question. Here, here is my understanding of coenzyme Q10. The brand that was used in the original Schultz study a few years back was Vitaline. Vitaline is owned by Integrative Therapeutics and it is available to most anyone, but Vitaline only sells to physicians and pharmacists. 
And so while you can you can get it online, you can I believe Amazon usually sells it. I find a lot of my patients find internet sources of it. Um, that is the one that has, even though the data is preliminary, it is the one that has the best data behind it in terms of actually appearing to contribute to some benefit in Parkinson's disease. So what I have found is that people will come in having shopped around for the best deal on coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 tends to be a very expensive nutrient. The doses, if one were to try and mimic the doses used in the Schultz study, it's going to cost between three and $500 a month. And so people will do a lot of shopping around to find the best deal. What I have found is that there are two companies who who offer a unique delivery system. Um, they, they It's some sort of a wafer that dissolves in your mouth. It's almost like a sweet tart or a lozenge. It appears, from my experience, that the companies who use that delivery system get the best response. I will have patients switch from brand A, B, or C over to Vitaline or Douglas Labs is the other one that I like, and people will come in saying they can feel a difference. Their partners can see their masked face disappearing. They have more energy. Um, and so, so I have so many times heard people comment that Douglas Labs brand is called Q-Melt or Vitaline CoQ10 wafers are so much more effective than the brands that they had been using that when people come in and ask me for that recommendation, I will always give them those two those two uh, brands as that's where I recommend. I, I almost feel so strongly about this that I say it's not worth your money to use the other brands. I would rather you use, people will try to target the 1,200 milligram dose, I will tell people that I would rather them use 300 milligrams of the high quality stuff than 1,200 milligrams of something less expensive and perhaps less bioavailable. Some people want to go cold turkey and stop taking their Parkinson's medications altogether. They're tired of the side effects. Is this a smart thing to do? Probably not for most people in most circumstances. It really is ultimately going to depend on the person and the dose and the type of medication that they're on. Um, if, if say, somebody's on 6 Cinemet per day, Levodopa per day, um, absolutely not a smart thing to do. Um, and they'll feel it. Within a day, they'll, they'll feel absolutely terrible because their body has come to have a, a dependence on a supplemental form of dopamine. And so um, what, what has happened in a couple studies, it's, it's actually very neat, um, but there have been a couple studies on a product called citicoline that allows people to reduce their levodopa dose. And what we've found in the studies is that as you increase, as, as, you, as you improve your underlying cell function, what will happen is you will first start to have more side effects to your conventional medications. And so what they found in, this, in, this, in these acetylcholine studies is that people who were on levodopa within a month started to get terrible dyskinesias. It was almost as though, whereas they had been appropriately medicated and treated with levodopa at day one, after a month of, of nutritional supplementation of a certain type, um, they started to be over-medicated, whereas you know, six pills of levodopa was working for them before now six pills of dopa six pills of levodopa is making is creating a whole bunch of side effects and they have no choice but to reduce the dose because they're now over medicated 
And so I will often talk to patients about that in advance, saying the goal here is not to deprive, deprive yourself of dopamine. Nobody wants you uncomfortable. It's not good for your body. You're not doing your body any favors to experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The goal is your body's functioning so well that you don't need that much supplemental dopamine. A lot of docs also will um, give their patients a little flexibility with how they dose their medications, um, depending on how how well how familiar the individual is with their own body and, and the medications. And so, many doctors will say, you know, take take another pill every three to four hours as needed, or um, or you know, have take your first pill sometime between eight and ten a.m. depending on what time of day you start to become most symptomatic. And that is that is the norm in my practice. Most of my patients are actually experienced with um, taking a little more medication as needed or a little less as needed. And so what we like to do is, is let the body guide their needs and, and look back over the last three months and say, oh, look, you know, three months ago you were taking six pills a day. These last couple of weeks you've only been taking four pills a day and you're no more symptomatic than you were before. And so that's that's the goal is, is to actually see a slow, steady trend in the right direction because the body is, is functioning better, not because you're depriving yourself of something you need. Can drug interactions be a problem for people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's? Oh, sure, um, which is why it's really important to work with um, doctors who, who are familiar with complementary and alternative medicine. I mean, this is certainly a problem within the conventional world among hundreds of drugs. Um, but, you know, everything from tyramine-containing cheeses are contraindicated for some medications. And so, so the degree to which somebody has to tiptoe around different drug interactions really, again, depends on the meds that they're on, the doses that they're on, and the individual's body. Um, but specifically where alternative medicines are concerned, um, there, there are some natural therapies that work exactly like levodopa does. And so any place where levodopa is contraindicated, so would you need to be more cautious with macuna or fava beans or certain, or certain dopamine-containing nutritional supplements. Um, also, things like coenzyme Q10 have um, very, very potent ability to interact with something like warfarin, Coumadin, which many people are on. And so what, what's happening is we have more and more people looking towards alternative therapies, but conventional physicians not necessarily keeping, keeping up, to, up to date on all of the nutritional um, interactions drug-nutrient interactions to watch out for. And you can't expect them to. That's, that's not, um, we're all doing the best we can to stay on top of the information regarding the tools in our toolbox. And so, so this is why I think it's in everybody's best interest to have both a conventional neurologist on their team and an alternative medicine practitioner who specializes in nutritional medicine and, know, and can look out for potential interactions and can counsel patients on oh, you're on Coumadin, here's why we need to approach the coenzyme Q10 supplementation issue much more cautiously than we otherwise would have. And so, um, yeah, there are, there are many, many drug-nutrient interactions and, and some beneficial. For instance, um, levodopa is the most uh, commonly prescribed therapy and most effective therapy for Parkinson's disease. 
and it is well established to interfere with folic acid metabolism and some um, studies suggest B6 metabolism. And so this is one of those instances where it, we know that people on levodopa are ultimately going to be depleted in folic acid. We also know that de folic acid depletion is, is bad news for Parkinson's disease progression. And so in my practice, every person on levodopa must be on a folic acid supplement. And so what I'll do is I'll measure homocysteine levels. There are a couple different ways to keep keep tabs on is somebody taking enough folic acid. But this is an example of, you know, not a not not so much a scary interaction. Don't use the nutrient. It might interact with something, but if you're on these medications, you have to use some extra nutrients because you're being depleted faster than somebody who is not taking levodopa. And it doesn't mean that levodopa is bad or that you shouldn't take it or you have to be afraid of it. It's just you need to take certain nutrients if you are on levodopa. We'll be right back with Dr. Lori Mishley after this short break. This is Robert Rogers, and you are connected to Parkinson's Recovery. When I say we'll be right back with Dr. Lori Mishley, the next segment of my interview with her will actually be aired next week. She talks extensively about other fascinating topics, including her perspective on the research as it pertains to Parkinson's disease. Please feel free to give me a long-distance, toll-free call at any time. I'd be happy to answer whatever questions you might have and also to answer questions you might have about Jump Start to Wellness, which will be held in San Diego, California in October, two and one-and-a-half days, which will be a transformative experience for us all. That toll-free number is one 877 Four, six. So I want to invite and encourage everyone uh, who is listening to this particular program to uh, consider the possibility of purchasing Dr. Lori Mishley's new book, Natural Therapies for Parkinson's Disease. Her new book is uh, basically going to provide you with all the basic information that you're looking for that will give you great suggestions on how you can use nutrition and natural approaches for being able to get sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. Sign up for our free email newsletter where I put out lots of information about what we're discovering through the radio shows and the interview and the research that I'm doing from individuals who are giving great suggestions and wonderful ideas that you can consider for what you can do to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. You can do that by, again, going to the main website, which is parkinsonsrecovery.com. That's the word Parkinson's without an apostrophe, joined together with the word recovery.com. If you forget that, all you have to remember are the two words, the first word Parkinson's and the second word recovery. And if you'll enter those two onto a search engine, what you'll see is the first result will be our website, parkinsonsrecovery.com. Click on that. You'll be able to go to the main uh, webpage and get all the resources that are available. That's a portal to all of the other websites. The chat room where you can go in and have discussions with other people who may be connected in there at any time, 24 hours a day. The symptom tracker where you can track your symptoms so that you can actually acknowledge and celebrate the fact that, yes, 
you are getting better. The Parkinson's Recovery blog, where we report results of the research that we're doing, as well as emails that I receive from individuals who are reporting their own stories of recovery. We have a fava bean website where uh, basically you'll see some reports of progress on growing fava beans on Sandra's farm in Tennessee. So there are a myriad of resources that are available out there. You do have to have a computer. And if you'd like to be able to listen to this interview with Lori Meshley live next week, you can always call the radio show uh, phone number at 11 o'clock Thursday Pacific Time next week, and that's 347-945-5358 to be able to uh, connect in and uh, hear the program live. This is particularly useful for individuals who do not have computers. Dr. Lori Meshley's book is on Amazon Natural Therapies for Parkinson's Disease. Her last name is spelled M-I-S-C-H-L-E-Y. It's a remarkable piece of work, and it's one that I would strongly and highly recommend to anyone, as well as my recommendations to you to please be our guest and join us at our 2010 Parkinson's Recovery Jumpstart to Wellness Program in San Diego, California in October. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery. Have a marvelous day. Goodbye.